0: Well, good morning, and uh, welcome again to Wall C Bible. Glad you're here. I'm Josh, and uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, a few things here just before we get going. Um, it is exciting just to build on what Kirk had shared of, of what's happening around here, isn't it? And uh, so, uh, again, just continue to uh, uh, to bear with the chaos because it's going to get more chaotic. If it felt chaotic this morning, it's going to get... Uh, it's going to be even more fun as we go through this process together. But it's a, it's a great thing, and it's a good thing. And so uh, we can use your help, though, as we go through this, just to help, uh, as you see new faces, to help uh, manage uh, expectations and to come alongside people. And if you're serving in ministry somewhere, make sure you're here on time. Uh, we, hopefully you would be anyway, but especially during this season. And, uh, and just help us in that uh, the more, that we, more hands we have on deck, the better it's going to go. And uh, so we're just, we're really blessed and excited about all of this. Uh, A couple things um, uh, to bring up too. One that I just, I forgot, Pastor Kirk mentioned Man Camp. And Bart, where is Bart at? Bart brought me a whole bunch of pictures this week. And in the chaos of everything else, Bart, I apologize, I forgot to get it together. So we'll get those and we'll have them showing next Sunday so you guys can see what all that's about. And uh, man, if you're able to go in the spring, it sounds like it was a great time, including a bacon room. I don't know what that's all about, but I I like the sound of that. Would you agree? Bacon room, that sounds good. And uh, so anyway, I I apologize to you for that part, but wanted to make sure you know uh, we'll get those up next time. But hey, we are in a series called Vertical, and the reality is we focus, I focus. I shouldn't maybe speak for you, I can speak for myself. I focus way too much oftentimes on the horizontal things of life the people beside me, the things going on around me, all things that matter, they absolutely matter. But uh, if I would just spend more time focused vertically on Jesus Christ, I I found that when I do, maybe you found this to be true too, that all of those horizontal things tend to come into play. And they tend to, to come into alignment and become less of an issue and less of a focus and less of a burden on me. And so uh, what we've been doing is that first week we looked at, at Isaiah's vision of Jesus, Isaiah's vertical vision in Isaiah chapter 6 where he saw Jesus Christ in his glory in the way that uh, it was life-changing for him. And, and last Sunday we talked about our response in worship, specifically as a group of people gathered together to worship, that there's, there's freedom in worship and that we're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength to engage all of our being, not just, not just like head up where we just stand and, you know, oh, Lord, my God, you know, like and we just sing it and we agree with it. But no, like we, we engage our emotions and maybe even we engage our bodies physically and how that's a great thing because God wants all of us. Amen. And those things physically just outwardly express what's true in our hearts and what's, what's true in our minds and our desire towards the Lord. Well, today, uh, we're gonna look vertically in terms of the word of God. Uh, in terms of the word of God and specifically that the gospel is the power of God. That God's word is what matters in the preaching and teaching of a church. Not anybody else's opinion. God's word is what matters. This book, God wrote a book, would you agree? We say like this, we have those core values, right? That it's all about Jesus, first of all. But then second, that God wrote it all down. He wrote it all down. And everything that you and I need in order to successfully live the Christian life, God has revealed to us in his word. He's revealed it, do you believe that? And, and so because of that word, to believe it in all that it teaches, to obey it in all it requires and to trust it in all that it promises. That's straight from our statement of faith. That's just a great, great statement. But you know what, I'm gonna be honest with you. I gotta share a little bit of my struggle this morning because it, is, it can be a heavy burden to know that week after week, it's on me oftentimes to get up and explain this to you. And that if I let too much of my own opinion that maybe isn't based on God's word or, or whatever else leak in, and I don't, re- I don't uh, root what I have to say in this book, I'm wasting hundreds of people's time. I'm literally wasting hundreds of hours by not preaching from this word and not preaching from this book. And so um, it's a love-hate relationship I have with preaching. Can I just share that with you? It really is. On the one hand, like I love to get up and preach God's word and share it and, and, and uh, know and experience and sense the Holy Spirit working through me in power. Um, but I, I often, uh, I hate the preparation and the time it takes sometimes and the burden that it creates and, and then the fact that no matter how good you do, it's almost like the better you do, and it can be really hard to preach God's word well. But the better you do at it, uh, next week better be just as good or better. Because all y'all are coming back, hopefully. Right? <laughs> so it's just, it's just this, it's this cycle and it's this love-hate relationship. You know, preparing to preach God's word, because I believe that God did write it all down. And I believe that nothing I have to say matters unless it's from this book. And when I quit preaching from this book, you ought to fire me. That's a good spot for an amen, like a really loud one. When I quit preaching from this book, you all ought to fire me. Amen. amen. Um, because, that's a weird thing for me to say, right? But, but it's true, because this is, this is the power of God. It's God's power is in his word, his revealed word, not in Josh's opinion or in any eloquent speech I might have, but all in God's Word, And so I, I really believe the most important thing I do every week, and some weeks I do it well, some weeks I don't, but is to spend time in this book, studying it and preparing for Sunday. It's the bulk of my time during the week. The best way, uh, unless you've preached or been a pastor, Pastor Kirk can relate, some others of you can. Uh, it, it's hard to explain just the, the preparation and the burden that goes into that uh, but the best way I could sum it up for you, just, and I just share this with you so you know that I have a high view of this book and uh, I, I have a high priority in preaching God's word in this church. And um, it's kind of like finals week in college. At least if you're a student like me, where before finals week, you spend all week cramming and studying and you're locked up in your room for a week, just poring over things for hours at a time. And then you take the test. Now the difference is that in college you go home for break. In preaching, you do it again the next week. And uh, to hold myself up in my office and study it again and work through it, and uh, it it becomes a burden. And You know, if you ask Hannah, uh, sometimes I get grumpy on Saturday. And uh, my mind gets focused elsewhere, and that's not a good thing. It's just... That just that burden, that weight of, of this is what matters, not anything I have to say. But I, I've got to do it well. Would you agree? Yeah. It's vital. In fact, um, it's a priority. And so uh, as we dive into the word this morning, I want to share with you just the priority of God's word from his word. And we're going to study that together. And, but would you pray with me as I just pray for this time? Because I, I think this is just a vital piece of our worship service every week. And uh, thanks for letting me have the opportunity just to rant and rave about it a little bit this morning. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us, your goodness to us. And thank you for your word. Thank you um, for the privilege, a great privilege it is for me to be able to get up here week after week and unpack it and uh, to study it during the week and to share it with people. Forgive me for the times uh, Uh, Lord, because you know it's true, uh, where I say that it is that love-hate relationship, and there's those times when I don't feel like it, but I know it's vital, and I know it's true, and it is most important, and you confirm that week after week after week. So uh, Holy Spirit, would you work through me again today, and uh, in each of our hearts as we uh, study your word, might it speak to us in power, as a church, and as individuals, and um, Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He he would love to distract us from your word and um, uh, to draw us off onto tangents or to things that are of lesser importance and instead uh, guide our thoughts and our minds and our hearts today. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's because of him and through him we pray. Amen. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter one and uh, we're gonna unpack a big piece of, scripture today. Uh, the, the book of 1 Corinthians is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth, hence Corinthians. And it's 1 Corinthians because it's the first of a handful of letters he wrote to them. And some things you should know, though, as we start to read about this church he's writing to, is that this church was just uh, up to its ears in division, in arguments, in sin, in foolishness in all kinds of craziness. I mean, as you go further and further, you find out that at the church in Corinth, they were getting drunk on the communion wine. Uh, They were having sex with one another outside of marriage. There was all kinds of crazy stuff. It was like, it was Christians gone wild, man. And that was first Corinthians. That was the church in Corinth. And this is who Paul's writing to. So we're gonna start in verse 10. And he's in particular at the beginning here, writing to kind of set the stage for all that he's going to say, and and he's addressing some of their divisions and arguments as a church. So uh, just read with me here these first uh, few verses, starting in chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, and that's brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, uh, Chloe's people, we don't know who that is, uh, but Chloe evidently had some people. Were these leaders in the church? Were these uh, business associates of hers? Were they family members of hers? We don't know. But in any case, Chloe, who was influential in in the church, a woman who was influential, uh, word had gotten back to her about the division in Corinth, and she passed it on to Paul. And now he's writing to address what's going on. And uh, he continues on. He says, "Um, what I mean is that each one of you says this. They say, like, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one could say that you were baptized in my name. And he has a little side comment. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Uh, Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. But Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ, cross of Christ, be emptied of its power. Uh, friends, what Paul's saying is he says right away there, "I, I want you all to agree that, that you would be united of the same mind, the same judgment, no divisions. And he's going to go on, and he's already said it, but that for that to happen, your focus needs to be the gospel. If we're gonna be united as a church, you know what our focus needs to be? Why don't you say it with me? What's it need to be? The gospel, God's word. If a church is to be united, unless the gospel is at the center, unless God's word is at the center, unless the preaching and teaching of his word is at the center, it's an entire waste of time and there's gonna be division. That's where our unity is found. Not in, I like Paul, I like Apollos, I like Pastor Dan, I like Pastor Kirk. No, no, no. In the gospel, was Christ divided, Paul says? Like, can you just divide up like different? No. He doesn't choose sides. Our focus needs to be on the gospel. In a church's unity is, in, is not in people, but in Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? A church's unity is in Jesus Christ. That's why we're, we're named after him, right? We're, we're Christians. That's where our unity is. It's not in the color of the carpet or the type of singing or the layout of the building. It's in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And that's where our focus needs to be is on the gospel. Now, not, a, not that any of those other things aren't important, they are. But if the gospel isn't the hub around which the rest of the wheel spins, that wheel's gonna wobble and it's gonna wobble Bad. The gospel must be at the center. The church's unity is in Jesus Christ. It's like, I would describe even preaching and teaching God's word, it's like the, it's like the, uh, the wood stove in the middle of an old factory. Uh, you don't think, oh, that's just kind of there, that's what we do. It's always there week to week, just burning, you know. Uh, but if the stove goes out and if the centrality of God's word uh, kindles down and can, quits burning, the whole factory goes cold. Would you agree? That's the nature of, of, of the gospel and our unity is in Jesus Christ. Sadly, too many churches, uh, people tend to choose sides and if, let's just be honest, we've had, we've had seasons in our church where we've done that. And we've chosen sides over uh, things that don't matter at least not in the long run, not to our unity. When if we're preaching and teaching God's word and exalting the name of Jesus, then what's that core value, no sacred what? Cows. We're gonna press on and we're willing to drop it and change it if it means more people meet Jesus Christ because that's paramount. Uh, Paul's gonna address this and he says the remedy for division is focusing on the gospel. He, he talks about it in his letter to the Ephesians too. He says, "What the." The Holy Spirit should make you one in every way. I'm reading from the New International Reader's Version. He says, so try your best to remain as one. Let peace keep you together in the Spirit. He goes on later in chapter 4. That will continue until we all become one in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. See, there's where our unity is, is in Jesus. Then we'll be grown up in the faith. We'll receive everything that Christ has for us. He goes on a little later, he says, we will speak the truth in love. We'll grow up into Christ in every way because he is the head. And he says to the Philippian church, make my joy complete by agreeing with each other and have have the same love as Christ. Be of one spirit and one purpose. Our focus, our unity Uh, Our focus must be the gospel, and our unity is in Jesus Christ. And Paul tells the church in Rome that, that church unity, then, when we're focused on that, it brings glory to Jesus. He says in chapter 15 of Romans, starting in verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may, be with one, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. Friends, uh, the gospel, God's word, uh, is the center of our unity. It must be our focus. Would you, did you agree? Do I sound like a broken record? Yeah, I do, don't I? Why? Because the gospel has to be our focus. And it's so easy to get focused on other things. It's so easy. And it happens subtly. But we've always got to come back to God's word. So if we agree with that, uh, how do we do it? That's great to say it and to agree on it. But like practically, on a practical level, how do we maintain that type of unity? Unity. When we have an enemy that's always trying to divide in subtle ways, how do we maintain unity? Well, one, of course, is staying focused on God's word um, because our unity is in Jesus Christ, but it's understanding, and you hear me say this, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but that a two handed theology is essential. Two handed theology. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, In one hand goes, or I'll start with this hand, the closed fist. One hand is a closed fist. And in this hand goes everything that uh, if I let go of it, I cease to be a Christian. So the the Trinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All of that goes in this fist. And you know what? If you try to pry it out of my fist, guess what's going to happen? We're going to fight. So the authority of God's word goes in this fist. And so when I quit preaching it, what's going to happen? We're going to fight. You're going to come after me. You're agreeing to that, right? It's not your head. All right, good. Now... In the other hand, though, goes everything else, and many things that that matter to great degree, but don't belong in a closed fist. Because the closed fist things are the only things that we'll fight about. We may argue and disagree and still love one another about these other things, but we're not going to divide and fight over these. Uh, Things as trivial as, like I said earlier, the color of the carpet to as important as uh, the, the type of music we sing and uh, the style of music we sing and all those things, there's open-handed things that at the end of the day, if I let go of that and let go of my preference on that, uh, at the end of the day, one, I might be wrong about it, but two, uh, it's, it's not gonna matter in the end because our unity is right here. Do you agree with me? Our unity must be in the gospel. It must be in Jesus Christ. See, look at look at what, what Paul goes on to say. Um, he even, he says there, uh, he starts talking about baptism. You're like, well, why does he talk about that? He says, Is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. Now, what, what Paul's saying is, uh, he's giving us an example of something that is important in baptism but is not a closed fist thing in terms of like who baptized you or when were you baptized or where? Was it, was it in a tank or in a river or in the ocean or were you sprinkled or were you dipped or forward or backwards or one time or three times? Or Paul's like, uh, I, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, Why? So that people wouldn't argue over something that really didn't matter. Like, who baptized them? Now, it matters to get baptized. It's an important thing. It's a command. But uh, even in terms of your salvation, it's certainly not required. The thief on the cross, did he crawl down and get baptized quick and then crawl back up so he could be saved? No. But is it important? Yeah, it's super important. And by the way, if you're interested in getting baptized, we're going to have some baptisms here again soon. Let us know on your Connect card. But, but Paul gives an example there of how uh, there are certain things we, we cannot allow ourselves to divide over. They're important, but the gospel is where there's power, and the gospel is where our focus needs to be. You know, uh, look back at verse 13 there. He says, is Christ divided? I think the biggest thing for us to understand is that on, on pretty much, on, on many, if not all of these open-handed things, and it's certainly in terms of, you know, uh, which leader do I like the best or in terms of who baptized me or not, Jesus does not take sides on these issues. That's what Paul's saying. Is Christ divided? Do you think Jesus is taking sides on all of this stuff? And if you want proof he doesn't take sides, that he's most interested in his glory, just look at Joshua chapter 5. When Joshua is leading the people into uh, the promised land, it says this in Joshua 5 verses 13 and 14. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him. He said, um, are, are you for us or for our adversaries? What would you expect? This is Jesus, by the way, who he sees. Uh, who, who would you expect he would be for? The people of Israel or their enemies? You'd expect Israel, right? Guess what, guess what his answer is. He goes, uh, and he said, Jesus said, no. Hey, whose side are you on? Um, I'm not on a side, I'm on my side. It's about my glory. It's about who I am. It's about me being exalted and me being lifted up and my word being preached. I'm not on any side. He says, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord and now I've come. And look what Joshua does. He falls flat on his face to the earth and he worshiped him. And he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? Let me hear from you. Let me hear your word Jesus, that should be our heart. Understanding that uh, our biggest focus isn't you know what's what, just to hear from Jesus, to hear from His Word. See, as we said, our focus must be on the gospel because it's the only thing that brings God's power. It's the only thing that brings God's power. Paul said at the end of uh, in verse seventeen. He said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross, he says, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Paul's saying this word, the gospel, is power. Power. But, but the reality is oftentimes uh, it seems like foolishness to people who are perishing. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and share your faith and share something about the gospel and either one of two things, either they look at you like you're a fool and tell you you're a fool or you just feel incredibly foolish while you're trying to share it. Does anybody, ever, anybody have that experience? If not, you probably haven't been sharing God's word with anybody. Because that's the reality of it. Oftentimes, it's regarded and felt to be foolish by those who are perishing. But look, to us who are being saved, what is it? It's the power of God. Paul says this in other places. He says in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes. Everyone Isaiah tells us we we uh, we're gonna sing this a little later. We've already sung it. Uh, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand. And to quote the great theologian Squints from the Sandlot, forever. Right. Everything else fades, but God's word stands. How long? Forever. All my preferences, all these open-handed things—they're gonna fade away. But what stands forever? This book and Jesus Christ and his word and his command. And so I should center my life around it and do everything I can to obey it and to believe it and to trust it. Even if that means letting go of my preferences. See, the gospel is where there's real power, friends. It's it's God's power, Paul says. You know, And and by the way, preaching God's word has power. I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll stand up here and I feel like, and because oftentimes I do, just rambling about something and maybe not feeling all that coherent. And people come up to me on the days that I feel like I was just like the most off my game of all. And like, man, God used you in a powerful way. He really spoke to me today through you. And I just stand there and I'm like, really? Because like that, oh, oh really? Why? Because it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. And the power comes not from anything I have to share, any of my thoughts, but all from God's word. Amen? Amen. See, you know what's curious is, uh, he goes on and he talks about how this is, it's, all, it's foolishness to those who are being saved, or folly to them. Do you know there's only, only one profession that compares to the preaching of God's word in our culture. Do you know what it is? Think about it. Can you think of anything that's similar to this on a regular basis? Where one guy gets up and stands and talks for half an hour to an hour? It's a stand-up comedian. Now how many of you would take all of your life advice from a stand-up comedian? And would base your life around the things that he had to share. No, that's foolishness, isn't it? Well, the preaching of God's word, see, God uses a a foolish thing uh, to communicate something that seems foolish to those who are perishing uh, in order that they might know his power. There's really no other comparison. And so, in in a very real sense, it's kind of like, because there's times in, in sharing God's word with people or in, Whatever it is, you've felt it, I've felt it, you feel foolish. But here's the reality. If you don't feel stupid, you're not doing it right. <laughs> Did you hear that? Like if you don't feel stupid and foolish, you're probably not doing it right. Because the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. And they're going to give you one of those kind of cross-eyed looks like, who are you? what? But that's why you communicate it with love and with grace along with the truth. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. That's what Paul says. And he goes on and gives this big uh, discussion then about foolishness and weakness versus wisdom and power. See, he, look, at it, look at what he says. Well, first he quotes again from the Old Testament. Paul does this a lot. Uh, he quotes from all over the Old Testament here. He goes, uh, it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discern, discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, verse twenty-two, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly, or foolishness, to Gentiles. And then he says it again, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, when he says that the Jews uh, sought signs and the Greeks sought wisdom, uh, he's saying there's, there's some people, in the case of the Jewish people, they, if they were going to believe that Jesus was their Messiah, they wanted to see some kind of big powerful sign that he really was. Ironically, he did many in his miracles for them to point to the fact that he was the Messiah. But they wanted more, like, like show us a sign, show, show us power, show us something just miraculous, spectacular, and oh, how about this too? And it just keeps amping up. And then the Greeks, they, they, living in their heads, they just they just want wisdom and philosophy. And well, let's, let's think about that and go over every little word and phrase. And um, they wanted wisdom to be convinced and to be satisfied. But Paul says, what's incredible, you want a powerful sign? Okay, how about this for your powerful sign about the Messiah? He's going to die a criminal's death on the cross. And he's going to, to sacrifice himself rather than bring down judgment and rend the heavens and bring down glory, he's gonna die on the cross in your place. And you want wisdom? You want wisdom? Um, If you would trust in this, this man who died on the cross, you would be saved. Not doing any good works of your own, but trusting in all the good things he did and died for on the cross for you and that he would believe that he was raised again from the dead. Just simply believe it, then you'd be saved. And you're like, man, both of those things. One dying, that's weakness, man. And just believe, that's it? That's foolishness. And yet God chose to use the foolishness of men to save people. Because the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men and the weakness of God stronger than the strength of men. Amen. Amen. That's what she said, just in case you wondered. But friends, the gospel is true power and true wisdom from God. That's what Paul's saying. It's, it's it, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The foolishness that you simply believe, that's actual wisdom. The weakness of God that he would die on the cross for your sin in your place is stronger than any good works you could accomplish for yourself. Consider your own story. That's what Paul tells us to do. He says, consider your calling, brothers, for not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what's low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, God does this. He uses what seems foolish and weak to save us and uses what seems foolish and weak, like standing up here and just preaching what was written down. Uh, He uses what's foolish to, to bring power and to change us. Why? So that none of us can boast about it. See, religion is all about boasting about all these good things I've done and all my strength and all my power, and look how I got it right. The gospel is you know what? You've got no power and you've got no chance apart from God's grace to you. You want to be strong, you must become weak. You want to see God's power, humble yourself. That's the gospel. See, you're free and you're holy because of what Christ has done. See, he goes, and it's because of him, verse 30, because of him, because of God that you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. See, that's a key line there. He became to us wisdom from God. Some of you, you may be hearing my voice, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, and you're hearing this, and you're going, okay, I kind of get it, but it still seems like foolishness to me. Well, you're called to believe, and I would exhort you to believe the gospel. And when you do, John says it, Paul says it, John says it in chapter three, verse 34, that those who, put their, who believe his testimony put their seal to this, that Jesus Christ is true. And then Paul says it here that uh, Jesus Christ became wisdom to us from God. Why? Well, by the power of the spirit working in us that after trusting him and coming to faith, we, we, our eyes are opened and we see that that's where true wisdom and power is righteousness he became also righteousness a sanctification and redemption so that as it's written Paul's quoting now from Jeremiah let the one who boasts boast in the lord not in themselves see uh, our focus must be on the gospel because it's the source of god's power so it's the only thing we preach that's a good spot for an amen so it's the only thing we preach. Amen. Amen. Power, friends, is in preaching and teaching and studying and believing God's word. See, look at what Paul says then when he gets to chapter two. And by the way, these chapter divisions, those weren't there. Paul didn't like write a letter and like add chapter and verse marks as he wrote. Like just so you know, those were all added. And if you're not familiar with that, that's okay. I didn't know how they got there until I was in college, but they were added later by some by some scribes, and uh, first the chapter markers, then the verse markers, just so people could find their way around the letters and the books easier. So, so don't think that just because you see a division there that we have to stop there. Uh, he says this, he says, and when I came to you brothers, remember he's writing to a church that's incredibly divided and incredibly uh, in, engulfed in sin. He goes, uh, I did not come proclaiming, or let's see, and when, and I, when I came to you brothers, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Friends, that your faith might not rest in some clever thing I would come up with to share with you, but it would rest in God's word, which is unchangeable and will not fade, but will endure forever. And and Jesus commanded us to preach the word. He commanded Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing, uh, see, Paul wrote letters to churches, but he also wrote letters to individuals, like a young guy by the name of Timothy. Timothy is a young man whom uh, Paul left in in the town of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, to tend to the church there. And um, Paul writes a couple letters to him, and uh, giving him wisdom and uh, knowledge and and, uh, courage to continue in ministry and Listen just to what he says. You'll study this in your 110 group this week. 2 Timothy 3, 16 is where I'm gonna start. Paul's writing to young Timothy here. He says, Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So so Timothy, if you ever get this idea that somehow you have something better to say than what's written in that book, I just know God's word All scripture is breathed out by him. It's profitable. Verse 17, that the man of God, the person of God, may be complete and equipped for every good work. So I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, I charge you, preach the word. That's what Paul tells Timothy. That's his command preach the word. And be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now notice, um, I'd be a really terrible pastor, and any of us would be really terrible Christians if we heard that. Preach the word and reprove and rebuke and exhort if we didn't read the rest of the verse. How are we supposed to do that? With complete patience and teaching for times coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myth. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. See, uh, a time is coming, it was then and it's now, and uh, a time is coming when people won't endure sound teaching. Friends, now, there's, there's certain things that we can change about how we do worship, about our facility, all kinds of open-handed things, right, that, that, we, can, that we can change and alter and adjust. Why? So that more and more people might, might, might hear and, and come to hear and hopefully trust in the gospel. But the thing we want people to be turned away from, right, is not, well. I don't like this or I don't like that. It's that um, that was a hard saying. Who can believe it? That, I want people to be offended by the gospel. And so that's why no sacred cows were willing to change anything else if it means, but never God's word, never the authority of Jesus Christ, never those closed-handed things, amen? See, Paul says, preach the word. And preaching God's word is what produces results. It is. We can strategize and we can uh, do things that that help, uh, but ultimately it's it's preaching the word that brings results. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah writes this. uh, Prophesying for the Lord. He he starts in um, verse 10. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, Making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Friends, our focus must be on the gospel because it's the only source of of God's power, it's the true source of power. So it's the only thing we preach you agree? Now, on a practical level, what do we do with this? Like, yeah, Josh, that's great. It's great, you know, words of wisdom, but you just said, uh, what what about, where's their power in that? Well, for for you individually, let me just point you to this short verse of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3. If you agree with those things, check out Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, "Uh, let the word of Christ I think it'll be on the screen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what does that look like uh, to allow God's word to dwell in you richly? I would say it simply means for you, if you want to begin to experience and get vertical in terms of focusing on God's word in your life, saturate your life with God's word. So what are some, maybe you just brainstorm that. What are some practical ways you can do that? Well, uh, put it in front of you. You know, I mean, most of, most of you, like me, you kind of carry around this, uh, this little uh, piece of glass that glows when you push a button. You know, so on mine I've got a picture of Hannah and Charlie there right now but maybe you'd put on there a a passage of scripture for your screen and work on memorizing it or just a verse or a word from the Lord maybe you'd tape scripture to your mirror as you're getting ready in the morning Uh, maybe you'd put it on the dash of your car maybe you'd be sure that the first thing you read when you wake up in the morning isn't the news that's depressing but it's God's word and the last thing you read before you lay your head on the pillow at night uh, isn't Facebook, but it's, even if it's just one passage, one verse, if, that it's scripture, that you begin to saturate your mind, that you, you learn to dwell richly on the word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and that you would dwell on it richly. Because uh, our focus needs to be on God's word, on the gospel, It's the only source of power, so it's the only thing we preach. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, then we're going to sing. And uh, even in singing, we're going to read a little bit from God's word and give you opportunity uh, to hear from the Lord through his word and to dwell on it. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks uh, for your word that you reveal yourself to us through it. Um, Father, uh, your gospel and, and your revealed word is... Uh, foolishness to those who are perishing. And uh, on a human level, it makes no sense to gather on a weekly basis and get up and and preach from a book and uh, to recite the same things over and over. And Yet that's where there's power. I believe it. I've seen it. And uh, Jesus, I've given my life to it. I pray that uh, for each of us, we would experience that. You'd help each of us on an individual level to, to, to saturate our lives with your word, believing that it really is the source of power to change us, to save us. And I pray too as a church that you would uh, protect us, that we might never stray from teaching and preaching your word. Now, that might look different from time to time and from age to age, but, but that your word would be the center and final authority of all that we are and all that we do. I believe that you bless that and that you'll continue to. So Father, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.